We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Ben. And tonight we're looking <clears throat> at the Space 1999 episode, A Matter of Balance, by Jane Baker and her husband, Pip. Shireen has three problems in this life. First, she's a teenager improbably assigned to Alpha. Second, her name is Shireen. <clears throat> and finally, she's got a right old crush on Tony Verdeshi. And when Tony doesn't always show a sensitive side towards her, she gets all emotional-like and, and sees a disembodied head. Meanwhile, Alpha finds a perfect planet and goes to investigate where Shermine, tricked by the floating head, gets transferred into an antimatter world where evolution runs backwards. They trick the bad guy later to reverse the polarity of the anti-neutron flow and swap her back. The day is saved and the beautiful little planet disappears out from under their feet. And finally, Tony contemplates the enormous commercial potential of antimatter beer. A matter of balance. A matter of balance. I, Please learned... don't ask me what I thought of this. <laughs> I've learned my lesson about that one. I've learned my lesson about that one. I, uh, I, I, I'm just going to say I think this may have be one of the lesser lights uh, in space 1999. Oh, you're um, being kind. I abso detest Jane Baker and her husband, Bip. I can't stand anything I've ever seen written by them. I just, they're awful. They're just awful. You're going to have to remind me, and I'm ashamed Time of Time and the Ronnie. Thank Mark you. Okay. of the Ronnie. The okay, the Ronnie episodes. part of uh, Trial of a Time Lord. Oh, that Robert was Holmes horrid. Died. That was horrible. Right, so Robert Holmes wrote the first part of the final two-parter, and then they wrote the last piece because he was dead. Right. And I have a feeling like there's some other... And I've seen some others in other shows that they've written, and it's just like, wow, wow, I'm not a fan mm-hmm. of, of the Bakers. Um um, and this is this is no this is no exception. Um, <sighs> so, well, let, let me ask you this question: What did you like about this episode? We'll try a different. We'll try a different approach. <clears throat> oh wow! Uh, the ending credits. You know, it's funny. It's funny you should say that because I actually have a note here. I was thinking about this as I was watching the episode, uh, and I and I wrote it down at the time, and I did it at the very beginning of the episode, and I wrote my favorite part of the episodes now end right when the music is over. That's yeah, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and I know I like the music. I think better than you do. Uh, you're, that's a prob. That's probably, um, yeah. I don't hate I, it. I, I, I like the first season better, and I think it's a better style. I think that the second season's kind of cheesy and jazzy, and, and but it's... I don't yeah. care for um, the, the the music at all for, you know, the, the, the credit music mm-hmm. for uh, this this season. It's, it is, it, it's, it's really... Uh, it, 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 I, you know, I've been, I've been, wow... This one has been troubling me ever since I start. Uh, we started doing Space 1999 Series Two, because mm-hmm. um, I remember kind of thinking it was okay when I was a kid, and you know, after we went through the season one, and then uh, I mean, it, and again, you know, there were there were some definite fallbacks, you know, and, and shortcomings to season one. But one of the things that I loved about that music is that it kind of lent, it gave you the idea that there was something very sweeping and something very epic about it, which makes kind of sense when you consider that the moon has now just been blasted out of orbit so it's going on a rather epic kind of adventure with this it just feels too i don't know 70s action show well i hate to you know i'm I'm, that's what i keep coming back to 70s actiony you know, I, I don't feel that does it any service in terms of a description, but that's the best that I can come up with. But it certainly seems to take away from, I think, you know, everything that Alpha's going through. Yeah, there are a few. <clears throat> I don't dislike the music in its standalone. I, I even I even have a copy of the soundtrack for it, um, which, you know, there are tracks I like and there are tracks I don't like. And But what's really, to me, what I find weird about them is that where they don't work 
is when you're watching the show. Does that make sense? They don't fit with what's going on on the screen. Sometimes they'll be, you know, rocking some noise and and they're just walking through a corridor or, you know, it just it just doesn't. And yet it's custom music. It, it's yeah. clearly written for the, you know, I mean, yes, all TV shows write some music for some episodes and then reuse it in some other episodes. But I mean, you can, you know, you can track down where it first got used, and it just doesn't quite. Well, it's fit not in like most cases. It's, yeah, it's not like what they did uh, towards the end of the of series one, where they're actually borrowing music from outside the show. Yeah, yeah, no, it's not like that. But it, it is just. I don't think they reused music in series one. In other uh, words, if they wrote a track for episode three, they don't reuse it in episode nine. Yeah, I don't think I they think did. You're that. Right. I think you're right. I think it's all custom. And this one yeah. is not necessarily. Anyway, uh, we've been de- derailed by the music, but yes, the ending credits. I, I was I was literally thinking when I wrote that down. I said, "Well, that is a sad state of affairs." And I said, "But wouldn't I say I like it better after the closing music theme?" Not sure. I think <laughs> I think mm. I'm at the I'm at my highest. point point of enjoyment at the end of the credits you know with the moon spaceships driving music that i don't dislike and then oh and now it's all downhill from there Mm. but um okay so let's let's talk about um well i I don't think we can go anywhere without talking about the absolute ridiculousness of shermine yes not just her name is that a real name does any has anyone ever heard of anyone named shermine i thought that they were just badly pronouncing janine or something else I looked it up. Shermine. Hmm. Well, uh, I, I don't know. With a name like that, is it is it any surprise that I, she's, she's got a bad disposition? Yes. And the fact that they keep referring to her, and I, you know, it's hard to tell from an actress uh, made up and, and it's television. They, you know, they lie with ages all the time. You don't know. But they refer to it as a teenage crush more than once. And I think I could be wrong. But you would not ever say that someone in their 20s has a teenage crush, right? No. You would not call it a teenage crush. Unless no, you wouldn't. Shermin is, in fact, 19 years, 11 months, and 30 days or less. Otherwise, yeah. it's she's got a crush at the worst case. So I think we have to take it at their word that she's, got a cr- that she's a teenager. Now, I did a little math on this because, hey... Why not? No, why the heck not? You're <laughs> retired. You don't have a job anymore. <laughs> yeah. 1,702 days in Earth orbit. That's uh, four years, about 242 days. Okay. If that was the case, and let's just pretend like she is 19 years old, 11 months, and 30 days. That means she was no older than 15 years, four months, two days, when the moon was blasted out of Earth's orbit. Where? What was she doing on the moon? How the heck, par- yeah. I mean, yeah, what was she doing there? And how did she end up being their botanist? Who, well, yeah, where'd she get her final... This is just, this is, and this is Pip and Jane Baker to me. This is the kind of stuff that shows up in Pip and Jane Baker stuff. You're just like, did you not give that two seconds thought that that just doesn't work? Did they care? Why did they have to keep calling it a teenage crush? If they had just said that she's a young woman and she's infatuated with Tony, we'd have been fine. Oh, that would worked a lot better. Absolutely. I mean, and, and it would have been completely feasible too to say, you know, I mean, a young woman in her like early 20s or something like that. Yeah. So now she'd be in her mid-twenties by the time they got to where they are, because they're almost five years into their mission. But <clears throat> but it's still feasible. Right, right. But no, they had to make it a teenage infatuation. Okay, whatever. And, you know, I'm not convinced that actress is a teenager. Oh, Kevin's no. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just not convinced uh, by it. But you know, the whole story depends upon her being emotionally unstable, which they're trying to pass off as being, you know, teenagers. Mm. And and that that bugs the heck out of me about this this whole story. I mean. <sighs> I don't like any story where a character, as they say, is handed the idiot ball, <laughs> right, and has to carry the idiot ball around. Right. But Shermin carried the idiot ball around this whole thing, and the only thing that the only justification for the idiot ball we're given is, eh, she's a teenager, mm-hmm. and it's like, wow. So not only did you have to drive the plot through stupid, but then you tried to justify the stupid by an incredibly implausibly stupid excuse. Thank you. Thank you, the Bakers. Right. Um, and that that's, you know... Like, <sighs> it's like... Ugh. 
Another thing is, is that I don't think Pip and Jane... Well, okay, I, I'm pretty sure I understand this. Pip and Jane Baker, when they wrote for Doctor Who, really didn't know anything about Doctor Who. No. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that when Pip and Jane Baker wrote for this, they didn't know anything about Space 1999. Okay, so one of the things that kind of puzzles me is, how did they get to be so established in writing... Um you know, for sci-fi, sci-fi fantasy, sci- sci-fi fantasy genre television, you know, because they apparently don't really know much of anything. I don't know. I, and, you know, I, I should have looked them up. Yeah, research and all that. But oh, who wants like, to do that? I have looked them up before trying to figure this out, and I can't remember what the answer is. I don't think they were science fiction writers, by and large. I think that y- you'll see them... In you'll see them doing a lot of stuff the kind of things like Terry Nation would do. I mean, if you watch any of the old, the Saints or the Persuaders or or the Protectors or or the you know any of those old ITV shows, you'll see a lot of Terry Nation scripts. Terry Nation was just a jobbing writer that would write right. for anything, and I that's where you see Pip and Jane Baker in there and stuff like that too. Their their names just pop up, and of course it's so distinctive. <laughs> Like mm. you know, a lot of other people, Jerry Smith, John Dillon, you know, but Jane and Pip Baker and Pip just stands out like a laser beam in your eyes, and you go, "Oh, them! I remember them." So they they kind of stick in the mind. But I, I, you know, there weren't a lot of science fiction writers working on Space 1999. So I mean, it, it, it's and really again, part is, of the system. Is this another indication of um, studio executives just thinking that you know? Fans will watch anything, so they'll just hire any working writer off the street so long as they have some kind of resume, no matter how good or bad it may be. I, I do genuinely, I, I, I do believe that studio execs, at least in that time, I think it's, I think it is changing a bit. I'm not going to put out too great of a light at the end of the tunnel, but I think at that time there really was the notion that you just take any ordinary story and put lasers and spaceships in it instead and of... And you've got something that and you've got science fiction. fans will watch. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's what they're... That's what they want. This is a total misunderstanding of what... So, no. You know, there is no... There is no notion that we really need to get out there and, and hire people that think about science fiction or that have science fiction ideas. They're interested in people that can write a melodrama that can be tarted up as a space oh, opera. that's just tragic. Uh, so... <clears throat> yeah. It, but it, not surprising, you know, because that seemed to be the tendency when, you know, and we've talked about this uh, with other television shows that we reviewed, you know, and I remember really screaming about this when we, when we looked at Man from Atlantis, that um, executives just seem to think, oh, you know, fans, they're not that bright. They're not going to, you know, they're not going to care as long as it looks kind of science fiction. They're going to want to watch it. So, you know, sod quality. Yeah, and and is oh I don't hmm. yes I think there's some of that, but I'm not entire I'm not a hundred percent sure that that last the sod quality. I think they think they were doing quality. So I think that's the misconception, is that they see nothing wrong with what they're doing. We're putting out you know they like an action show. Okay, I'll, okay, I'll give you that. They okay they think they're putting out quality, but they just have no good. Um, they they just have no idea what quality is. Yeah, yeah, or or yeah, or their stand their standard is a completely different standard than 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 ours. So I, I will say they did write one. They did write one Doctor Who that I don't hate. No, nope. Terror of the Vervoids. Oh, you know I liked that one too. That one was the closest thing, <laughs> kind of that it took classic Doctor Who there for years. But, no, I agree. But yeah, okay, I'll, I'll yeah, take I, that. I like that have one. Its problems, but yeah, but I I didn't hate it. Right, right. I did not hate that one, so I will give I will give them that one. That's Except probably why Mel. I banished that out of my head well, because Mel. I didn't hate that one. Mel, and so you know, Mel. Hmm? Yeah, oh yeah. Mel. Well, there's that. Yeah, <laughs> there's the scream at the end of part one that uh, is still going on. I think somewhere in deep space. <laughs> yeah, it's still it's still floating over the earth someplace. Yeah, <laughs> but again, uh, there the, we we have a really bad story in the way they managed to introduce Mel for Doctor Who you know, in, in that particular fashion. So once more, uh, it, it, it just shows that they have... Th- th- oh, oh. Yeah. Again, mm. th- it defies description. What they put out really does defy description. You know, and so when I, you know, and I hear it come out of you, and, I, and, and here I am, I'm desperately trying to find words to adequately convey what it is that I think about their writing, and <laughs> I'm unable to. Yeah, it's, it's got its, 
you know, it has. There are people who like the Mark of the Rani. I don't know why, but there are people who like the Mark of the Rani. Um, I'm not one of them. Yeah, I'm not one of them either. But uh, anyhow, um, let's let's take a look at a few more things that make me think Pip and Jane Baker just kind of are off the. You know, not, I that, not that there are other writers who have screwed up royally. Well, I, I just I just want to say one thing. Um, yeah. I didn't realize when I watched it that this was written by Pip and Jane. I don't know how that got by me, but it did. Um, the, and the other thing is that this is the one Space 1999 episode that I had not watched during uh, my time hmm. as, uh, as a teenager. This is the one that got by me. Well, I, uh, I'm kind of I'm kind of shocked. I mean, yeah, this one snuck by me, and oddly enough, yeah, when it was aired, it was the last episode. <laughs> I wonder why. Yeah, it did. Uh, <laughs> whichever, how, whoever decided to air it over on uh, whatever channel affiliates that we had um, in California, they stuck this one last, and this is the one that just slipped right by me. And and I and and 1999 was gone the week after that. I'm thinking that they were afraid, you know, standards and practices. Maybe they wanted to push this one back as far as they could because they were afraid that that Vindris's um, costume, shall we say, <laughs> may have been a little bit too much. Possibly. Um, but in any case, uh, when I watched it uh, in preparation for this uh, recording. I didn't, I, it somehow got by me that Pip and Jane had written this. Uh, and it wasn't until you texted me a little bit earlier today that, you know, Pip and Jane Baker. And then I realized, oh, that oh was so God. that was so nice of you to delete the uh, delete the cursing <laughs> yeah. from that text message <laughs> before um, transcribing it. Yeah. Uh, and what I found what amused me at that point is I then finally understood. Oh, my God. Now I know why the science, if you want to call it that, was just so stinking bad. <laughs> uh, let's let's take a look at a couple of those. So this star is in the constellation of and Maya names that I think it's something like Pentaris. And the star Where did they get is that? something like Pentar. <laughs> so, I can only assume that somehow this is stuff that Maya knows. Well, okay, so let's just <laughs> let's just let's just start with Okay, let's pretend like the database from Moonbase Alpha, whether it's been filled in by Maya or it's been filled in from aliens or something, and has this star in its star catalog. I mean, there are stars that could be in our star catalog when we left Earth, assuming that Moonbase Alpha ever could figure out what they were once they've been translated into three-dimensional space mm. and placed somewhere outside our star catalogs. That would be bad enough if they could figure out which star it was. But we know they're in different galaxies. Precisely. So they shouldn't have anything. But assuming that they do have anything, you would never refer to it as being in a constellation. No. <clears throat> but, you know, the part... So that's just more bad science from space. This is more bad space science from space 1999. We expect that. I just, I guess the part that irritates me about that more is that they're going to pretend like they know where they are. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that, that actually is, it's, it informs them uh, on, on, uh, on their trajectory. And at, at this point, I'm kind of thinking, Why? Yeah, if we know where you are and you know where Earth is, then the last time when the Tabor said, well, can you tell me where you are? No. <laughs> but we can point you in the right direction because we know mm -hmm. where we are. You know, it's like, but they're lost. So, ah, <laughs> it's like you're not lost if you can actually look where you're where you are on the map and go, this is where we are. So, and then, of course, it's an uncharted planet. Now, we know ultimately in the end it's because the planet's not really there. You think? I think so. Mm. I think that's the, the, the final takeaway is that it's an uncharted planet. And then when the planet disappears at the end, because it was never really there, you're, you're supposed to go, oh, that's why it was uncharted. As opposed Duh. to how the heck would they have been able to identify a planet in a constellation in another galaxy around a star they couldn't have seen. Never mind. It's like, it's mm -hmm. I will say here's here's the the one thing I do like about the episode. Rapidly destroyed, but but the one thing I do like about the episode. They see a planet, it looks like a promising candidate, and they actually bother to check it out. Yeah, I thought that was smart. The fact that they sent a team of four people, a botanist, a pilot, a, a an excess member, and Maya. 
down to check out the planet. Mm -hmm. What exactly was Bill Frazier doing? I mean, you know, they're doing their job trying to figure out what's if this is a good planet for the humans to settle on. What's Bill Frazier's job? Uh, uh, okay, see, um, you can't answer that. You can't no. answer what John Koenig's job is because he doesn't have one. And he doesn't have one. <laughs> He's always been a useless member on a landing party. Yeah. Uh, Maya obviously has to do all of the work. And Shermine clips the flowers because that's what she's done on every, every planet they yep. visited since they left Earth. Funny we haven't seen that. Yeah, funny that. And again, that's the just callous disregard for the continuity of the show. Like, mm. we're just going to make up this character, and then we're going to throw out this line that says, I've done this on every last one we've ever been on before, whereas the audience is sitting there going, mm, nope. It's like, it's, you know, it's bad enough that you see somebody who's like a great pal to somebody suddenly and they never were before. I mean, that happens all the time in a TV show. Or somebody who seems like they're a lot more important suddenly this week than they are in any other week. But in this case, yeah, no, no, that that's just like, yeah, I'm actually bothered to watch Space 1999, but I can write an episode. Well, What's the premise? They're lost in space on the moon? Okay, got it. I'm, and it Pips on the, it. I'm actually going to let that one kind of slide because that's... That's been a standard um, practice that we've seen in a lot of procedural shows. I mean, even Star Trek has. I mean, it hasn't been. It wasn't quite that egregious. It's but it's the, the egregiousness of it that bothers me. I suppose. I mean, it, it, to 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 actually have have the audacity to say, you know, this person has always done this, and I keep thinking, well, if they have always done this, then why haven't we not always seen them do it? Yeah. I mean, I mean, don't make that kind of claim. I mean, yeah, Star Trek would kind seem to hint and you know and, and suggest that oh yeah this person they're an expert in this particular field and I'm like okay we haven't seen them before okay I, I guess we can just assume that they transferred to the Enterprise and we just never heard about right. it right see they can do that and they said how many times did we need a geologist right you yeah know, it's like we call for a geologist who's on rotation this week fine but in this case you know it would have been fine I think I want to take a botanist down to this planet and then of course and I, I should take a do- I should take Dr. Russell along because we like to stroll along together be useless on fine fine planets for a little romantic interlude. Oh, you can't go. Well, we don't really need a medical person, so never mind. Um, you know, it, it, all of all of that just treats the premise of the show poorly. Mm-hmm. Like we're just we, we're not even putting a serious effort in finding out whether or not this planet is actually habitable. I loved, I loved of all episodes. Um, Full circle. Two full eagles of people, experts in different fields and studying and, and rovers and searching the planet and all that stuff for that. Mm-hmm. That to me felt like Moonbase Alpha is trying to find a place to live. This to me sounds like, well, we're passing a planet and I like to get out and stretch my legs once in a while. So I'll go down and take a look. And uh, you know, based on just um, eh, my gut feeling, I'll decide whether or not we're going to we're going to land on this planet and uh, and live here and i mean i i they should have they should have gone for the live on that planet obviously it wouldn't have worked out for them cuz the planet would have disappeared but there you go right that would have been a problem that would have been a bit of a problem uh luckily they were in the eagle when the planet disappeared because if it had disappeared before they were in the eagle ooh that would have been, kinda... been tough so the antimatter planet. So it was an antimatter oh, planet, but they were God, able to here touch we it. Go. They were able to touch the antimatter planet, uh, and they were able to breathe the antimatter air. Mm-hmm. So yeah, <clears throat> and the antimatter people were able to make a, a matter machine that Charmaine could turn the green dial on. I, I couldn't quite figure that one out, but okay. They got a device here to convert people into matter to antimatter, but I, I'm were they. Did we ever actually find out if they really were natural? They were from naturally from antimatter, right? That's the way they kind of made it sound. That's what Vindra said. He said yeah. our people started at the peak of evolution and worked our way worked back. Our way backwards, yeah. But why do their pictures show them being blown up in a huge atomic explosion or something and being blasted by disaster? Which is Maya's whole premise for looking over the... This temple shows, you know, uh, this, that, the other thing and leading all the way I up can, to some sort of I can answer that. I can answer that in four letters, uh, four words, Pip oh, and Jane Baker. Baker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Bless them. <laughs> and did you notice that one of the pictures on the walls in the temple 
So as as Maya was going over it with her recording, it says you know amoebas and single celled animals and australopithecines and and right. So the whole kind of scientific evolution. Did you notice there was a picture of the Garden of Eden on one of the yeah. walls? Yes, actually, it sure I did looked see like that. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It re- <laughs> I thought really. <laughs> hey guys, just paint some pictures from history on there, and we'll just we'll just go from that one. Uh, that was um, oh. <laughs> Let's see what else have we got? <laughs> Did I mention that I was traumatized by Vindrus's outfit? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, it, Costuming it, it, budget's yeah. a little low this week. What can you do? <laughs> What one square yard of here's fabric? A, here's sir, here's just a little piece of fabric. Go at it. <laughs> uh, try to hire an actor who's not going to put too much stress on this. <laughs> wow. Okay, wasn't going to go there, but now that you did, <laughs> um, let's see. What have we got? Uh, so they, they, I didn't mention this in the recap, but they go down to the planet and there's this big thingy midiggy that's scaring them out of the temple. Right. And there's a temple there. Uh, but there's no life signs. You'd think they'd have learned this from like two episodes ago when, when they can't see a life sign and yet there's a creature in front of them. It's obviously a robot mm. or antimatter. <sighs> Amazing what they never learned from past from, episodes. From episodes. And um, so this creature scares them off and but it doesn't Charmine gets to just walk right in and she goes down and she meets up with Vindris who's all nebulousy and he he tells her to go back to Alpha and steal something from one of their well take this core and put it in one of their nuclear generators and although didn't didn't she take a thing back to Alpha and then she was supposed mm-hmm. to get a nuclear generator right and then take that back to the planet Mm-hmm. And then you put the thing in the nuclear generator. Yeah. Why did she take the thing to Alpha? I don't know, really. Was it so that Tony could see it? I'm still not sure about that. Okay, because then Tony sees it, right? And he's like, hey, Shemaine, where did you get this? And <laughs> and then Vindris appears to him, too, and gives him the whole exposition dump <laughs> and then makes him forget it. <laughs> Ouch. I was I I swear I was thinking when I was watching this I didn't realize they knew what was going on this early in the episode and now sniff this flower Tony <gasps> oh the flower that she takes a seed and under the instructions of Vindris uh, puts it in a, a doohickey that's there on Alpha and then they shoot the doohickey. is that the official term the doohickey yeah I don't remember what okay. they called it and then you plant the seed in a pot of soil that just happened to be sitting next to the doohickey machine and minutes later it grows into a full fledged sleep flower that keeps knocking people out or taking control of their brain. It's like, wow. Okay. Bad, 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 bad. Among a lot of bad. <clears throat> a lot of bad. Uh, let's see. What is the other one? Oh, yes. Right. So the one other thing that I want to point out about the science, it's just in the science thing, mm. is bury, burying is symmetry. Burying is, yeah, burying, burying matter. So matter we can see, matter we can touch. Okay. This whole premise, this whole episode is based on a matter of balance, hence the name. For the antimatter people, oh yes, I don't want to forget evolution. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the whole thing for the antimatter people to come into our universe is there has to be an equal and opposite amount of matter transferred into their universe to maintain balance. Now, let's for a second pretend that that makes sense. This is the sound of my head hitting the hitting microphone. The I thought it was a wall, but it's the same difference. Yeah. Let's pretend like that that makes sense. Boo. Wait. You're, I'm sorry. You're asking too much, right? Just there. for a moment. Just for a moment. Oh, Let's please. For just for I don't a moment. even know how I can do that. How are we to believe that Vindris and Shermin have exactly the same amount of matter and antimatter? If it's a matter of balance, then surely they must have to be... They'd have to be equal and opposite. Equal. Yeah. But they clearly aren't. So <clears throat> nope. problem one. So they're really talking about one-to-one entities. You know, I guess once you put all the pieces together into a person or an anti-person, then that counts as one. 
So does that mean that one person and one can of beans could transfer place? Because, you know, Alpha could cook some beans for them or something or, or some from old moon rocks or something, an equal amount of matter for them to transfer over. So, I mean, that's one. But no, obviously it doesn't work. And the other thing that doesn't work is baryon asymmetry which is a problem, as I understand it. This is definitely out of my realm on the physics side of it. But baryonic matter is the matter that we can see. Anti-baryonic matter is anti-matter. And they aren't equal. The, the, the Big Bang, according to models, the models that we have, would mm -hmm. predict that they are in equal amounts. But they are observably not. There is vastly more matter than there is antimatter. We don't have an explanation for that, as far as I know. Not at the time. Not at this well, time. No, I mean, yeah, now we don't have... <clears throat> yeah, not at this that. time we don't. Um, but it is a thing that we have observed. It may, be a, it may be a flaw in the observation. It might be any number of things, but they're certainly not balanced. And so I don't know where... <sighs> I don't know where Pip and Jane Baker got their whole their whole thing about balance, but you know, once again, we're on a we're on a flawed we're on a flawed premise. Oh, they uh, the same places they get everything else. They make it up. And and having said that, <laughs> having said that, in the antimatter universe, mm. a species starts at the pinnacle and then evolves down to the slime. Devolves. Well, is that devolves? Okay, so now here's here's the thing. I mean, this this is this is a pet peeve. So I, I love I love a pet peeve. No, I hate a pet peeve. That's why it's a pet peeve, um, right? There is there is kind of a misunderstanding. There's a mischaracterization of evolution, and there has been. And and part of this is um, part of this is is religious bias. All right, it's or it's. Um, it's mankind's bias, if you will. There is, there is the, and correct me if I'm wrong, mankind was given dominion over all the earth, right? I mean, that's part if of... If you're going biblical, then biblical, that is correct, right? yes. And that has been a sort of prevalent kind of thinking. Um, you know, even now we have global warming deniers and whatnot who have, you know, man was given dominion over the earth to see, use as he sees fit. God will make sure that it doesn't die. It right. can't, can't happen. And but even if you're not talking strictly in a, a, a biblical religious sense, I mean, that 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 sort of mankind first mentality, mankind is the pinnacle of earth life. We are the best. We are the greatest. We are we are the end all to be all. There is a mindset that has come up about that, that when people think about evolution, they think, you know, slime to to up, 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 climb the ladder, climb the ladder. You're climbing the ladder till you get to man, which is the peak. And everything else is somewhere lower on that ladder. That is simply not the way it works. It is, it is a branching tree of randomness that leads to different outcomes. And each outcome, by its definition, has to either give you a better survival strategy for whatever the circumstances you're in, or you die off. And that, that's how it works. So it isn't, it isn't rising to the top. It's rising to something. It's, it's rising to fit the situation and not rising. Right. It's, it, it gets, it's that's going. the basis of evolution. It's being able to rise. It's, it's the species moving on developing growing to be able to um endure survive past this whatever generation. challenge yeah i mean you know, like like some animals develop unique forms of camouflage uh, in order to survive predators things then you like could that not, then you could not say that we are evolving or devolving if you will towards the slime that is not how it can work even in an antimatter universe, it cannot work that way. You That's cannot correct. know what the end result of the random actions are. It's not like time is running backwards. Now, if they were trying to tell us that time ran backwards and that, you know, people aged younger and then leaped into the wombs of their mothers who had come back to life from being dead. and You know, that would have worked a little bit better. I mean, they could have gone to so far as to say that in this universe there's like anti-time or something like that. 
I mean, it, it, I mean, we pick holes to that left and right, but at right. least it wouldn't have this particular conversation. Um, yeah, which, you know, it is just one of those fundamental, you don't understand evolution, you think evolution is a ladder that we're all climbing, and that isn't, that isn't it either. So, you know, that explanation, but even given that stupid explanation, really, would you care? I mean, you're going to live your normal lifespan. You're not going to turn into a slime mold. You know, so they're desperate uh -huh. to escape into our universe so that in 65 million years or 300 million years or 500 million years or four and a half billion years or however long it is from where Vindrus's people are to the point where they think they're going to end up in a slime mold. Uh, we desperately have to get out of this place before that happens to us. Really? Yeah, that was that was a, a thing that I had a really hard time understanding. It, it, yeah, I, yeah, I I agree with everything you said. I could not figure out Ventress's motivations in any of this. It just it it made absolutely no sense at all. Um, you know, co which just compiled the the problems about everything in this episode that made no sense. Now, it would be different if antimatter was an awful place to be, but we never got any feeling for what that was. And in fact, if it's like the planet they're on, it seemed kind of nice. Mm. It's like, oh, this is a terrible place. In 300 million years, these trees aren't even going to be able to uh, to flower anymore. You're <laughs> going to be dead. Yeah, Why do you know. care? Yeah, yeah. And and they even recognize that. You know, well, you're going to live an anti-life of hundreds of years. You'll be fine. It won't affect you. Well, then what are you worried about? If, if your argument is the Alphans shouldn't care about being in an evolving backward situation, why should you? Mm. Uh, <laughs> it's like... It just, uh, <laughs> yeah, hurts. exactly. It hurts. Okay. Um, I did notice that they were able to uh, put Eddie under their control completely and have him, Ed Frazier, sorry, not Eddie, um, yeah, Bill Frazier, mm. and make him fly the eagle. So did they have to go to all this trouble with Shermine and tricking her? <laughs> uh, no. I mean, did she have to be willing? I don't know. Uh, Tony and uh, Koenig weren't going to be None of the rest of the Alphans were going to be willing once they knew what was going on. So, uh, uh, okay. Uh, Antimatter creature guarding right. the temple. Um, Maya decides to turn into a fox and play... I can barely outrun a two-legged slow creature as a fox. I don't know. I've never tried chasing a fox, but my suspicion is I probably could not come close to catching it. Oh, no. They're, t they're way too squirrely. I mean, yeah, the way they run and can maneuver. Right. Wouldn't a flying animal have been a better choice? That was going to be my first thought. <laughs> not only wouldn't a flying animal have been a better choice in the first place when she was trying to get into the temple the first time, but the second time she tried to get into the temple, wouldn't a flying animal have been better to get up to the top of the chimney instead of the monkey? Mm. It just, it strikes me for such a clever girl, Maya is not very bright when it comes to the animals she picks. <laughs> it's like, well, what if we got in the Animal Handlers Guild queue uh, today? Oh, a monkey and a fox. All right, monkey and a fox. I'll write that in. <laughs> I, I almost wonder if that's what they do. Like, well, we've got we've got some stuff for Maya this week. I've got a costume for her, and I've got an animal. So write that. I in. think that's what it is. Yeah, I, I, it's yeah. I, I'm pretty sure that's that's all it is. Um, let's see. So Koenig also pulls this stunt where he has uh, Maya and Tony stay outside the force field or the zone. And then he sneaks around the back to try to get around the big ugly creature, mm -hmm. which he successfully does. And you think, oh, he's going to sneak inside the temple. But instead, he draws the creature's attention and the creature runs and attacks him. And he stands there and he waits for it. And I thought, oh, that's just like the dumbest thing I've ever seen, Koenig. <laughs> that's, that's just the dumbest thing you've ever done. Mm -hmm. And then he says, I figured out that it must be antimatter and therefore couldn't touch me. Uh, 
So that's why I want to do this. Like, well, if that's what uh, you were going to do, then why didn't you just walk in? Through the first time. And instead of sneaking up behind him and getting him to attack you. And why does the creature go ahead and attack you if it knows it can't actually touch you in that circumstance? Well, it, because it's programmed that way. <laughs> it's just... Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. Um, Koenig, so they, they, uh, Shermin's missing. She's on the planet. She's gone in there. She's got the cylinder that she's got to take back to Alpha so that she can get a nuclear generator and bring them both back again. I, we, we went over that part. But she gets inside the temple, which nobody else can. Uh, Maya sneaks her way in and she gets in there and finds Shermin. And, um, uh, and then they leave. And Shermin goes, yeah, it's no problem. The creature's not going to bother you. And indeed, the creature doesn't bother them. And they're all like, wow, that's amazing, Shermin. Um, and they seem remarkably not suspicious enough about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, later on, Koenig says, yeah, I'm a bit suspicious about this. But uh, but he's not very suspicious. And he's not like, hey, Shermin, um, why were you stupid enough to walk in there with that big hairy creature in the first place? Or a scaly creature in the first place. And no, no question on that. And, um, you know, I know the name of the planet. Koenig goes, oh, how'd you, how'd you learn the name of the planet? And she goes, well, I'm must have heard it somewhere and he uh-huh. lets it ride and he lets it ride and then they go back to alpha and he lets her go about her business and goes hey tony i want you to go down and have a chat with her because i'm i'm a little suspicious oh. about uh, what, what's going on here it's like uh-huh. you haven't got a security guard on her you haven't you aren't monitoring her you aren't having her checked out by medical you're not doing anything you just go back to your duties and go on about your stuff it's like wow <clears throat> well this is koenig worst commander ever. ever worst commander ever you have to you have to say and of course tony doesn't do a great job of having a chat with her because uh tony's got the emotional stability uh development of a 14 year old boy um which is great considering that we have a a teenage girl with an infatuation on him yeah okay <laughs> yeah and even there uh, well okay so you know the path the path of teenage love isn't very smooth either because of those sorts of things i mean in the stereotype land mm. right the girls are too hyper emotional and sensitive the boys are too oblivious um i can i can literally i can literally say that happened to me when i was a teenager well uh, yeah but <clears throat> this is not a high school show correct <laughs> correct therein lies uh, the problem with this particular scene but, uh, anyway <laughs> Uh, what else have we got here? Um, I don't. I don't know that I have anything else. Um, Maya tricks the alien to get back in the booth. I thought that was particularly lame um, by transforming herself into Shermin and pretending like Shermin had come back. Wouldn't Wouldn't that be like if she had come back? Then wouldn't he have? I don't know. The universe exploded or something. Mm, that was the thing that that this is. Oh, oh god. <laughs> This uh, this is the one that made my head hurt most of all. It was bad enough that we had the whole problem with the antimatter planet and Helena's antimatter husband and all that nonsense in this in that infamous episode from season one that we did a live watch on. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, here now we've got this 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 bizarre inconsistency. Um, antimatter can cannot exist in our world. I mean, sometimes you can't see I mean, that that whole rubbish. But now, when Maya is trying to bring Shireen back into our universe, if she does it all wrong, then matter and antimatter will coexist. They'll collide. Yep. And this corner of the universe will disappear. Right. Um, yeah. I'm having a really difficult time with that one. Yeah. I mean, what's? Ow. <laughs> yeah. it, it, this does not work for me. And I mean, of course, it really does defy description. I mean, I can't even. It 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 goes beyond just being stupid. And also, we had one of these machines back on Psychon. Why? Yeah, good question. What, what do you need a transfer people into the antimatter universe device? Four. It, it, Punishment? Um, yeah, but you got to bring somebody over from the other side. That that you know, you're tearing mm, them away from their life. It's like you'd think they have their own lives over there, and that they would be thinking, you know, something. I, I don't want to go. <laughs> I don't want to go. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, Tony's beer. Oh dear. Final thing I have. Tony's beer. Verdeshi's brew number twenty nine at the beginning of the episode. 
Um, Shermin works in the botanical garden? I'm not sure. It's not hydroponics, I don't think, anymore. It's botanical, I think. Yeah, so she's been helping Tony grow hops. Now, I'm not much on how to make beer. I'm, I'm frankly, okay, I do know enough about making beer to know that uh, a friend of mine many years ago got into brewing his own beer. And it involved getting a kit that had some discrete elements, which he described to me at the time. Hops was part of it and some other stuff that, that you put. And you chucked it in a thing and you stuck it in a bathtub for a period of time. I don't know, weeks? Something. So, so that it would ferment. And it produced beer. And his first go at this, he thought, was, if not fantastic, drinkable. If Tony is actually able to get the elements needed, like hops, he should be able to make beer easily. You do not need some sort of fancy machine going sloshing back and forth with the 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 distillery and all that stuff. That's not how beer is made. (laughs) So... It is on Alpha. He should not be, you know, unless he's trying to make something completely different that's like simulated beer, this should not be that hard. And he should be able to produce something that should get people drunk, which is all they care about, I think, if that's his goal in making a beer. I'm not sure. Um, But anyway, Janine is helping him, even though she's not old enough to drink. Well, actually, she might be. It's European rules. They probably can drink at 12. uh, Yeah, 13, maybe. (laughs) Not sure. Somewhere in there. I mean, France. I mean, it's in the bottle Um, as as a baby. Um, Sorry. Sorry, French people. I was... I was kidding. It's wine. I know it's wine. Um, so the beer doesn't come out right. Nobody wants to touch it. Shermin's the only person who drinks it. Even Tony, well, he won't touch it till the end, which I think is a little, I think is a little disingenuous. I mean, Shermin tries some. She's, yeah, that's all right. It's not bad because she's in love with Tony and she doesn't want right. to say it. it's terrible. But when Tony drinks it, he spits it out. It's so bad, right? But he won't try it before he takes it off and tries to fob it on everybody else in command center, all of whom are like, uh, sorry, I'm on a no liquid would diet tony <laughs> because if he did it wouldn't be funny right uh but then by saying that it's no good suddenly shermine blows up like okay she's in the wrong there you know in that particular instance she was totally in the wrong there tony for once was blameless he did not say anything that should have caused her to explode but you see teenager um mm, yeah but we get to the end of the episode and Shermin dumps him and says, I'm not going to help you anymore. You're the hops, which why did they have the seed for that? Never mind. Um, you know, here's your hops. You get on with it and which should be enough I think, for him. And he starts that whole thing about, oh, if I could only add some antimatter hops. Like, were you not actually part of this episode, Tony? Because ah. <laughs> like, I know this is supposed to be a comedy tag at the end of the episode, but. How am I? I can only take that as a comedy tag if I'm supposed to think that Tony is he's making a joking. Joke. Yeah, but he's not. But he wasn't. He was being serious. He was literally thinking, if I had antimatter hops, I could do this thing and do this thing. It was like you don't even understand the principle of antimatter. So why would you think antimatter? Why would you think antimatter hops would be better? And then second of all, why would you think that since you know you can't touch antimatter, why would it? Yeah. Sorry. One, one, one big, one big uh, rag on this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, this is one that just completely defies any proper description or definition or civil discussion. And then, of course, Shermin is so annoying. So let's, you know, let's talk characters. Shermin's annoying. Man, she's annoying. Mm-hmm. Vindris, I guess he's an actor. I mean, I, let me rephrase that. I guess he's an actor people have heard of. I have. Is he? I haven't. I, I am. But, but. <laughs> Somebody has, apparently. Um, because I remember watching some YouTube video where they were talking about, you know, how embarrassing it was that this actor who went on to do something noteworthy had to play this part in a nappy. Really? Um, I, I, mm, I, I hadn't heard that. I don't know. I, all I could think of was looking at him was going, is this Benedict Cumberbatch's father? 
Uh-huh. There is a, there's a facial similarity there. There is a facial similarity there, and there's a voice similarity there. And and I know who Cumberbatch's father is, and I know that's not him. No, but of course not. when he first started talking, and I'm looking at the face, I'm going, that's, huh, there is some, huh. Well, you, it's funny you mentioned, there was something familiar in the voice, now that you mentioned it. The voice it, but in when particular, I, yeah. When I, when I looked up his name, it, you know, it, it meant nothing to me. Yeah, well, it could be that he went on to something big in Britain that just hasn't made it over here. Mm. You know, there there was another one where one of the guys who was in, oh, the rules of Luton, uh, <laughs> apparently was an actor. One of the three monsters went on to get real work somewhere, too. So it was an, a second case of, of that kind of, you get some work early on, you just, you got to pay the bills kind of stuff. But um, anyway... Um, I got nothing else. I, I, I really have just, just nothing else to, to back up. I mean, except that this episode hurts. I mean, it, it just, it, it, oh, I mean, ooh, this almost, I, I, I think, I know that it was just not too, not too many weeks ago that I really bagged about what, you know, on what I thought was like the worst 1999 episode ever. And, and this, this one actually exceeds that. Oh, this, have, this is this is approaching. Th- th- we are like coming up on my naked Montague. <laughs> We're uh, yeah. This is um, it, it's not very good. It was very pretty, nice planet. I like the fact that they got off the moon base, but um, I, I had a hard time coming up with anything redeeming. Redeeming in this episode. Oh, it yeah. Is well, no, I can. I can come up with something redeeming. Doctor Russell's not in it much. That's true. I'm sorry, John. I've got to keep measuring my test tubes or something. I put this thingy on, and I've got to just keep doing this thingy so I can't go on this important mission. Just I'm that sorry, might help John, us it's... find our home. I'm sorry, John. It's time for my next dose of Botox. Yeah, like that. That's the other one. I'd like you on this, Helen, and I. I can't go. It's like, what is more important than you guys finding a new home? Anything? Anything? Well, these tests, anything? They can wait. Somebody else could run your freaking tests. Oh, no, Dr. Matthias or Dr. Bill or Dr. whoever her current doctor assistant is we haven't seen in a couple of episodes. He could do it. No, he couldn't. A trained chimp could do it. Find somebody, show them how to write down the numbers, do whatever it is, but for crying out loud. You know, I'm glad she didn't go, but... Oh, anyway. But yeah, right. for the reasons were bad. As as always. Well, but we are running out of episodes. And oh, thank God. We are running low on episodes. So it's uh, another six, eight, something like that. <laughs> Not as low as perhaps you would like, but we're, we're coming to the end. All right. Uh, listeners, thank you for joining us as we uh, bagged on this particular episode. Some days I, I feel kind of guilty about it. Guilty? A little, a little guilty. It just, just, just constant nagging, picking, but it's, well, it's... Hey, it's deserved. They it's deserved. made it. It is deserved. I, I wish that there was something that I could say is that, that I... Because, yeah, I like Bits of Space 1999. Less bits than I did when I started this, but I like Bits of Space 1999. These are not the bits. These are the not-like bits. Yeah. All right, Ben, thank you for joining me. I wish I could say this was a pleasure. (laughs) And listeners, I hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. Anti-cheers. Fusion Patrol is a Lone Locust production. Like us? Please consider becoming our sponsor at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. We'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes. Stop by and visit us at our website, fusionpatrol.com. Search for us on Facebook under Fusion Patrol. Check out our Twitter handle, at fusion patrol or just send us an email at feedback at fusionpatrol.com please come join the conversation our music is fight the future by amber wolf i wonder if that's benedict cumberbitch's father i'm gonna change that let's stop that hold on i keep thinking (laughs) wow I, i know hold it stop